coming up on Influencing Entrepreneurs. You know, a lot of people think for-profit means that the employees work for free or work for, for, you know, low wages, and that's not necessarily the case. After years of teaching entrepreneurship and consulting with numerous companies, I realized that when business leaders shared stories of their success, hardships, and mistakes, it always had an impact in the classroom. So I thought, why not share these real-life business cases for education and inspiration? I'm Kazmer Ward, and this is Influencing Entrepreneurs. On today's episode, we speak with Kelly Glantz with the March of Dimes. Kelly has been working in nonprofit health based charities for over 10 years and currently serves at the March of Dimes as the executive director in North Carolina. Kelly oversees and directs the March for Babies program and six signature chefs auctions. She speaks regularly to community leaders about the importance of prenatal care, health inequities, and racial disparities in addressing the increasing rates of maternal and infant mortality. Thank you for joining us today, Kelly. You bet. So working with the March of Dimes, what are some of the misconceptions to the business leaders and nonprofit organizations that you encounter on an everyday basis? You know, a lot of times we get pushed back in the nonprofit uh, arena where people are concerned about giving their dollars and they're not staying local. Their big focus is, you know, making a local impact. And where a national nonprofit like the March of Dimes uh, has has a challenge of getting the the word out about how research overall, nationally and internationally, helps and funnels down on a local level. So there's that's definitely a challenge that we face in nonprofit. So the the name and the brand of March of Dimes is, is strong. I mean, we all know the name. I, I remember collecting the dimes back in uh, grade school. How often do you have to reinforce what the brand stands for? So what, it, what does the brand stand for today after being around for 30 plus years? So actually, we're, we're a little over 80 years old. Um, so March of Dimes um, started as a, um, a nonprofit by FDR to collect dimes and march those dimes to Washington. And the charge at that point was to eradicate polio. And so that was what we worked on. We came up with different ways to uh, eradicate polio nationally and around the world. And then our charge changed. Uh, once Once we eliminated polio, we focused on birth defects. And then now as we've moved into, uh, you know, a new era, we are really focusing on the health of moms and babies. How on a strategic level do you decide what, um, and this may not be the right word, what the next cause is or the next promotion to to raise research money? So we decided to go towards moms, moms and babies overall. We actually have a rebrand. Um, you, you asked about the logo and um, you know how often we have to tell people what we do. We do have strong name recognition, but oftentimes I do have people say, so what exactly does the March of Dimes do? And actually, so what we do now is we support moms and babies and we support moms and babies through the, through the whole process. Actually pre-pregnancy, pregnancy, delivery, and um, post-delivery. So this is, this is really where our charge is now. And um, we've, we've seen a lot of premature births um, over the years. 
Charlotte has a very high rate of premature births. And actually the, the most disturbing thing that we have in Charlotte is uh, the rate of uh, babies that die after birth. So in supporting moms and babies, mm -hmm. to what level, because of course there's lots of mothers with children mm -hmm. um, and especially infants, how do you identify where you make the biggest impact? So actually one of the programs that we're working on right now, and we've, I've just received funding this year for it, we'll open it in early 2020, is called a supportive pregnancy care model. And we are partnering with Novant Hospital here in, uh, in Charlotte. We will have a supportive pregnancy care uh, center set up, and this is for moms that are currently underserved um, in their, their healthcare needs. Um, they may be um, on food stamps and seeking public assistance. What we do is we find women that are in the like stages of their pregnancy and do a group uh, prenatal model with them. And we have statistics um, from other models around the country where it has lowered the uh, rates of premature birth in, in women that uh, participate in this program. So you have a great organization, a mission that everybody would be for, everybody is for, nobody's against it. Sure. What are the misconceptions on how you run a nonprofit as opposed to a for-profit business? You know, a lot of people think for-profit means that the employees work for free or work for, for you know, low wages, and that's not necessarily the case. I will say that I am very frugal with our, our funds that come in. I like every dime to go towards mission as much as possible. But one of the things that I, that I stress to people outside of the nonprofit sector is, you know, we do have to spend money to make money. And, you know, I draw a salary and as, as does my staff, um, but we are very careful with the, the dollars that we get in. So with the campaigns you run, I'm sure there's a part of you, the balance is, is the executive director that you have to say, how do we get money from our, the general public through our campaigns? But you probably also have stakeholders that are larger donors. Absolutely. How do you balance the, the difference in how you approach each different customer base? We talk about the, the donor development continuum, uh, introducing ourselves to people. Oftentimes uh, we do two, uh, event-based fundraisers in the area, uh, one of which is our March for Babies, which is in the spring. There's upwards of 5,000 people that will come out and uh, march for babies. And in 2020, we're actually on uh, Queen's University campus for our event, so that will be exciting. We're, we're happy to be here. And the other event that we do is our Signature Chefs event in the fall. And both of these events brought, bring in different kinds of donors. Uh, a lot of our donors in the spring are individuals and families, and they do a grassroots campaign and go out and collect you know, dimes and do bake sales and, and different events. And really, they're great ambassadors for us, sharing the reasons why people should care about the March of Dimes. We also have fantastic corporate sponsors. Then you go to that fall event with the black tie gala that we do. Um, the sponsors are higher. Their dollars, dollar amount to enter into the space is, is definitely higher. And high wealth individuals often attend these events. And this is the type of event where 
you know, I as the executive director, you know, go around, meet people, and identify those that may have the capacity to donate more and to larger dollar amounts. And, you know, my next charge is to find another donor that will help us open another supportive pregnancy center. And so this is where I'm, I'm looking past the, uh, the, the donors that do grassroots fundraising and go towards foundations, family foundations, and then higher, individual, uh, higher wealth individuals. So outside of higher wealth individual donations that can make an impact by opening a center, what resources can you receive that may have the biggest impact or a long-term lasting impact? Um, you know, with the, with the resources for us, it would be the support of the local NICUs and uh, getting, getting people to understand what the NICUs actually do here in our local community. With those resources, let, let's talk about donating $10 million for a facility versus what's in your name, the March of Dimes. How do you determine how much to ask for? Because we're, we're at a point where a dime, I mean, come on, we can all do better than a dime. How do you determine how much to ask for nowadays? Nonprofits have become incredibly sophisticated in, in uh, who we approach and how we approach them. So we do have some software that we use on a, on a daily basis where it will generate information on high, high wealth individuals and what their giving capacity is based on public records, uh, how much they've donated to other um, events, charities, etc. So we look at those and we look to see if they have a connect with us in any way. So there is a little data mining that happens uh, in this way. Uh, I have a you know a philosophy you know you, you you go big or you go home you can always uh, ask for a lot and then have them come back down very very rarely do you ask for ten thousand dollars and they come back and go oh I'll give you 50 you know it's usually the other way around so but I think also being respectful and knowing what their giving capacity is based on that information you have. So outside of that, those high wealth individuals, which have a great impact and in their philanthropy goes a long way, you're, you're asking all, I mean, we all receive the mailers Absolutely. from March of Dimes. Mm -hmm. So how do you educate those that aren't high wealth, so I know to give more than just a dime, that you wanna get as much as you can out of me possibly, but you also know I can't put $10 million into a new clinic. You know, a lot of times uh, I, I've heard other charities say, you know, give till it hurts. Um, I'm not necessarily a believer in that philosophy, but what I do ask of our donors is to give what's impactful uh, to you, what you think can make a difference. And to some donors that might be $500, some other donors that may be $5,000. Um, I did have a donor a few years back at, a, at another nonprofit that I worked in where she was in the process of uh, doing some remodels on her house and decided that instead of spending $50,000 on a new kitchen, she would donate the $50,000 to the organization that I, that I worked for. She felt that that would be more impactful to the organization than it would be to her and her family with a with a remodeled kitchen. So it, it, it definitely varies. 
you know, most of the time where we have a strong donor, they've got a mission connection. And, and that is really, you know, what we talk about. When I meet with a new family or a new donor or a prospective donor, I ask them what their story is. And, and then once I find out what their story is, I can determine where, or at least what I think might be an impactful area for them to direct their funds. In order for that to be successful, any nonprofit has to have an impactful leader to communicate that message. How would you describe or tell the story of your leadership development? I started out as a non-traditional uh, student in getting into human services years ago. Came into the nonprofit space here in Charlotte a little over 10 years ago. And my biggest success, I think, has come with relationship building and how important that is, being a connector in the community and not necessarily expecting anything back at the time, for sure. Um, having a, a good reputation and integrity goes a long way. And Charlotte's often described as a big little city and connections matter here, relationships matter here. And so I like to model my leadership after, after those principles. What class taught you that? Class of uh, hard knocks, honestly. It's, you know, knowing, you know, coming into a new city is difficult. And just getting out and networking and being authentic means a lot. And people see through it when you're not authentic as well. Um, getting out in the community and volunteering in other areas that are outside of your, out of your job and maybe even outside of your traditional comfort zone, I think is important as well in making those uh, connections and those genuine relationships with people. Was a, as a little girl with a dream, was it to be the leader of a nonprofit? It was not. I, I expected to live in a, in a big city someplace. I grew up on a farm in Colorado. I'm the youngest of five. First to go to college and my family and uh, uh Never, never expected to stay on the farm. So, you know, moving, moving along to the, to the big city of Charlotte's been, been fantastic for me. What was the dream? Just to be in a big city or did you big have city, career I, aspirations? I, I, I figured I would work in banking and uh, did, did a little stint in that earlier on in my career and, and took a turn when I decided I wanted to do something where I was more impactful in the community. And that's why I went into nonprofit. Was the first nonprofit March of Dimes? It was not. What was it? So I, my first nonprofit was with JDRF here in Charlotte, so Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. So how did you, how did you make, you made this, the leap into nonprofit? How many steps till executive director of March of Dimes? So once I was in nonprofit, I worked for five years as a development manager for JDRF. Really had hit a little bit of a ceiling here in Charlotte where with the, with the organization. Still have great ties there, great relationships. Definitely still financially support that organization and their mission because it's a, it's a fantastic mission. I don't see them as a competition. A competitor. They're in the same space that I am and they do, they do great work. But then March of Dimes had an opening for their local Charlotte executive director position and I applied for that. And really what I was doing at JDRF was almost identical to what I uh, ended up coming into at the March of Dimes. It just had a, 
a different title and a, and a different pay grade. So was able to move into that. And I was very fortunate because we had excellent board leadership at the March of Dimes. And I interviewed with several board members for the position. And then once I came on, they, those four in particular have stuck with me. And whenever I've brought new ideas to the table, they may not agree, but they're willing to let me do those things and try it out. And, and we've had great success together. And then about a year and a half ago, I was promoted to the state executive director uh, for North Carolina. And so now I oversee three markets, one in Raleigh, one in Winston, and then Charlotte as well. Who's most likely to invest in your mission? You know, it, it depends. It, uh, it could be somebody that's decided that they, they don't want to uh, you know, renovate their kitchen, or it could be somebody that just received an inheritance. It could be somebody that wants to do an annual giving fund where they're just taking money out of their paycheck every month and sending it in directly. So it, it, can, it can definitely vary. And the other thing about me is I rarely ask people for money. I ask them what they think, where they think their money could be most impactful. And then generally they tell me the amount of money that they would be willing to, to give or donate into the organization. So that's a little unorthodox in my position where I don't just come right out with my hand and say, you know, I'd like your money. Really, I, I like to find out where they think their money would be impactful. And then if we have a fit for that. So how do you identify those that will want to be invested? You know, I'm, I'm fortunate because I go to all of the events around the state. I think I mentioned to you at, at one point, uh, we have 10 of these March for Babies around North Carolina, and then we have six of these black tie galas. So I'm there in the crowd with everyone and participating right alongside them. One of the advantages I have in the ballroom is I'm able to watch everyone bid uh, throughout the evening and on our live auction items. And, you know, I can, I can get a good feel for somebody that is interested in the mission and has the capacity to actually spend some money. And so I keep track of, of these people and then I go back to them and I will ask them to go to coffee with me. And I want to find out what their story is and why, why were you at the event and what compelled you to spend the way you did? Do you have a mission connection or did we just have great stuff that you wanted? So tell me a little bit about that. And I just ask a lot of questions along those lines. And, and again, rarely do I ask for money. On the opposite side of the spectrum, what are some of the challenges that make you say, I don't want to be in the nonprofit world anymore. I want to go into the regular industry. You know, it is not a 40 hour week kind of position, uh, my position in particular. And there are a lot of other duties as assigned and we do a lot with a little, and that is, that is very standard in nonprofit work. And I wear many hats. I tell my team all the time, I will never ask you to do something I, that I haven't done that, or that I'm not willing to do. In fact, we had an event a few weeks back where there was no trash service after our gala, 
So I changed into my sweats and I emptied a pickup load full of trash into a dumpster and had trash juice from head to toe. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it's not a glamorous profession, but it's incredibly fulfilling. And I feel blessed for meeting all of the people that I have from um, my staff and volunteers to those, those donors and those donors that came to me with their, their mission connection and, and their willingness to give. So now, so included the March of Dimes, but not just the March of Dimes. How has the nonprofit world changed in the last 10 years? It's, again, become more sophisticated. We're, we're really trying to pull away from so many events and event-based fundraising and really look towards mission investment and, and larger gifts and working, you know, smarter, not harder, not, you know, having having to spend so much money to make money that's definitely been a, been a focus and the the major gift arena in nonprofits is is an area all to its own now so so where do you see it going in the next 5 years as the industry changes i think we'll see less community walks and we we've struggled as a nonprofit sector just in these types of community walks. I mean, you can check any community calendar for a Saturday in the spring and you'll see no less than five community fundraising walks. And there's, you know, a hundred great charities that are, that are, you know, backed up to my backyard and they're all worthy. Uh, there isn't, again, I don't see anybody as my competitor I see that we're all in the same space and we're all doing good work in the community, but I think we're going to see less of those as we see some donor fatigue where, you know, you mentioned, you know, everybody gets the letter from the March of Dimes. Well, everybody gets a letter from, you know, 15 other charities. And especially as we come through the giving season of November and December, those, those campaigns ramp up. But I'll tell you the reason that you receive those letters is because they work. You know the the nonprofits still receive a, a great deal of uh, of money through those mailing campaigns as well. What are some best practices that happen in the for-profit industry that you feel nonprofit industry should adopt? I don't know. Your, well, your businesses do run very similarly. You're tr you're both trying to generate as much revenue or fundraising as possible, correct? Mm -hmm. The only difference is you're using the money that comes in to build resources to give right back to your mission as opposed to shareholders. Is there a way that we could manage programs better or fundraising better that would have a bigger impact on not just the March of Dimes, but nonprofits in general? Kind of going back to where you were asking, have we seen changes? You know, we, one of the biggest changes that we've seen is online fundraising and streamlining some processes. So I do think that to your question of where we could take some, you know, take a page out of the playbook of profit for profit companies, you know, they have they've definitely streamlined their operations as 
uh, nonprofits are, are going in that direction as well. We, we really want to focus on online and um, storytelling. On the flip side of that, in the nonprofit world, what are some practices you'd like to see go away that we that have been adopted and used over the years that their time has gone? <laughs> you know, I, I go back to the storytelling piece. I think it's important that we that we tell stories, but I think they need to be genuine. And I think a lot of times we in the past, nonprofits have really pulled, you know, tried to pull on people's heartstrings and had the most severe cases. What I think is important is more of a of an everyday story of a struggle with somebody that is you know down the street from you, and it seems seems more local and 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 more apt to you know where you would have a connection to this, where you feel like wow that could really happen to me. Mm-hmm. I think that is that's a practice I I would like to see go away the the real extreme pieces. Um, where people really want to turn away from that at times. So in closing our interview, I have one question that that would keep me up at night if I was in your position. Mm -hmm. You have the duties to go out and look for fundraising nonstop, and you're really just asking for money Mm -hmm. left and right. I can imagine there's a large amount of rejection that can come with that. How do you deal with that in a way that you show up day after day? I tell new, new staff members, new new people to nonprofit, this will be the hardest job that you'll ever love. You will have a hundred rejections before you get a yes. And when I go in and I meet with a, a, a new sponsor, a new bank in town, uh, any, you know, any, any new sponsor, and they'll say, you know, gosh, Kelly, we just don't have it in our budget to support you this year. And I will ask respectfully, is this a no for now or is this a no forever? And I've never had anyone tell me it's no forever. And so when they say, you know, it's just no for now, I'll ask at that point, you tell me when is a good time for me to come back and approach you again and really try to be respectful of their calendar and their time and know again that there's a hundred great charities out there. And I always thank them for supporting the other charity because it shows me that they're philanthropic and that they actually do care about the community, and my time will come. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get in line next year. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time. If people want to learn more about you and March of Dimes, they can go to www.marchofdimes.org. That is correct. All right. Thank you so much for your time and for participating. You bet. Thank you. Thanks for watching. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash Nexogy Education or visit influencingentrepreneurs.com to catch up on previous episodes with Casimir Ward.